0: Hello, everyone. Jonathan Groner here, host of the Wayward Pilot podcast. I'm a certificated flight instructor and commercial pilot. We have new episodes of the podcast every Friday where we talk about general aviation, flight training. We have interviews with fellow aviators, and we take your questions on the podcast, anything you want to know about general aviation or flight training. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram at Wayward Pilot. And please check out waywardpilot.com for more information about the show.
1: Are you a pilot, student pilot, or aviation enthusiast? You've come to the right place. Take your seat, fasten your seatbelt, and get ready for takeoff with the Wayward Pilot Podcast, your number one source for information about flight training, travel, safety, and leisure in the aviation industry. You are now cleared for takeoff. And here is your captain, FAA-certificated Gold Seal flight instructor and commercial pilot, Jonathan Groner. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Wayward Pilot
0: Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gruner. Today, I thought we'd talk a little bit about tips for successful pilot training. A lot of people who listen to the podcast are either aspiring pilots or they're uh, working on some ratings, trying to get through some of that training. A lot of people may not know anything about the training uh, and how that goes, uh, especially for private pilot, people who are just starting out in aviation. But I thought I'd give you some tips on uh, doing things like choosing the right school and financing the training and uh, how to make the most of your time. So let's just dive right into that. A lot of people know a little bit about my background and kind of how I got some of my training uh, and how I I progressed from private pilot all the way up to CFI and commercial pilot. Uh, but. I started out at a relatively small flight school. Uh, they had a couple of locations at the time uh, in located just outside Washington, D.C. in Virginia, and it was a Part 61 program, and we talked a little about the differences between Part 61 and uh, Part 141. And Part 61 refers to the Code of Federal Regulations uh, under Part 61, uh, 14 CFR Part 61. It prescribes the... Required training for different certificates under that part. Uh, it's kind of your most commonly used program for uh, pilots just starting out. Part 61 allows you to go through with an instructor, and as long as you cover all the required subject matter prescribed in that section and you have the required hours in that section, then you can simply go and take a check ride with a designated pilot examiner or an FAA representative. And uh, if you're successful with that, you have a private pilot certificate. Part 141 is a little different in that it is an FAA-approved course. A flight school submits a training course outlined to the FAA, and it says all the things that they're going to do uh, in that time. And the time requirements is a little bit lower for private pilot. Instead of needing 40 hours total flight time uh, and training, you get 35 hours of training during that time. Some of that is solo as well, just like in Part 61. So it's about five hours less than was required for Part 61. Although in my experience, I find that even with a pilot who's going through a Part 141 program, it's pretty rare to see them stop right at 35 hours and uh, be ready for a successful check ride. They still usually have to do a couple other things. So it generally gets them closer to that 40 hours in general. So, I threw, like I said, I th- went through part 61. Uh, I actually finished with about 46 hours, and part of that was because my training was stretched over like a nine-month period, which I would not recommend. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about how to get make the most of your schedule and make the most of your time as well. I chose my flight school because it was the most local one to me. Uh, that may not have been the best decision. Uh, but in the area that I was living in my area, there was basically nothing else within a drivable distance to me. It still took me about 45 minutes to get to the airport for every lesson, and that can kind of weigh in on things and and make it a little bit harder uh, for you to complete your training because it's just kind of exhausting to do, to be honest. Uh, trying to psych yourself up to get ready to drive to the airport 45 minutes for a one-and-a-half to two-hour lesson and then drive yourself 45 minutes home is not generally something i recommend. But that may not be an option for some people. In my uh, area, it was a large metropolitan area. And, of course, in D.C., you have a lot of restricted airspace, and that kind of limits how much flight training uh, is available in that small area uh, because of the amount of restrictions put on uh, flight training and and general aviation flights there. So that really was the closest place to go. Uh, There were some other places that were further out. There were smaller schools uh, that had fewer students, fewer instructors, and may have had more time. Uh, but they they accommodated me very well there, and it. it was a reasonable price. Um, if you're going to look for a flight school, I recommend looking at several different flight schools, uh, going to the actual flight school, talking with the instructors, talking with the uh, chief instructor, talking with some of the managers there. Not just looking at prices or airplanes, um, but actually going in there and getting a feel of what it's going to be like, get a feel of what the drive is going to be like, have an idea what the airport is how the airport is laid out, and where you'll be able to spend your time and study and do those types of things. Uh does your flight school have an on site testing center. That can be important, because when you're ready to take your test, you might have to go to a different facility to do that, as I did. In this day and age, we can go online and look at ratings for different flight schools, and people will leave comments and things. I think you're always going to find people who didn't have a good experience at some place, and we got to understand that this is an institution of learning. I think if you were to go to a high school's Yelp profile, if that exists, uh, you would find that a lot of the students would leave horrible reviews saying, "Uh, this teacher is horrible, or the lunch is bad, or you know, I couldn't find a parking space or, you know, things like that. They would just leave bad reviews about it um, because they're not really in the business of just pleasing the customer in every aspect. Um, Any business has to please a customer, but we can't, since we're instructing people and they need to learn the things that they need to learn, um, we can't always cater to their every single need. Um, We can't just spoon feed them information if they want us to. We can't let them solo whenever they want to. Uh, we can't train whenever they want to because of some restrictions. We can't fly in poor weather because just because they want to and because they have the day off. Um, and that can leave people who are new to aviation uh, or don't really understand some of the rules uh, and regulations feeling like they weren't really treated like a customer. And I understand that. Um, you know, A lot of businesses say, well, the customer is always right. But in this one, they're not always right, if I dare to say that. Uh, sometimes they need to learn that they can't just do whatever they want to do uh, because you know people's lives are at stake. Uh, that's just the nature of this business. And like any other thing, like a school or uh, like a private school or a college, yes, you're paying for it. And yes, you should be catered to in some respect because you're paying for it. But at the same time, they have to go along with your program. They're, they're paying you to provide service, but at the same time they're paying you to provide a service for a program that you've outlined and, and you have cultivated over time and that is hopefully successful in training uh, student pilots. And they need to know that they have to go with the flow or it's not going to work out. And I see that a lot uh, teaching at the flight school that I teach with as well. Some students just don't want to get with the program. Um, they believe that they paid for the time and you know they paid for the training and it should be done the way they want to do it. And they don't really have a lot of background to say that. And we try to help them out as best we can and, and please them as much as we can. But, you know, you know, there's just things that we can't do. You know, we can't fly in bad weather. Um, if the minimums are below the prescribed minimums for our course, even if it looks great outside, you know, if the winds are too high or the ceilings are just a little bit too low for what is prescribed, for what the minimum is for the level they're at, we can't fly in it. Even if it's something that I normally would fly in every day. Um, I don't have a problem flying in winds that are gusting at 20 knots. I'm used to it. I've done it before. I have a lot of experience in it. It doesn't bother me. But if we go to 20 knots one day and I have a student pilot who I need to bring up and do takeoffs and landings, this is not going to work. And one, they're not going to learn anything. And two, it would be above our minimums that are prescribed. And if something were to happen during that flight, uh, I would ultimately be responsible for taking the student up in those conditions. So just keep in mind, if you are looking at reviews online of flight school, um, take them with a grain of salt. Not everybody is meant for this. Uh, Not everybody is meant to be a pilot. Um, I think everybody can learn to fly a little bit, but I don't think that everybody has the ability to learn to become a pilot all the way through uh, and become certificated. And that is going to sometimes be reflected in those ratings. People who were not able to make it through or, or have the discipline to make it through will jump online in a heartbeat and write a whole poor rating about a flight school. So just take that with a grain of salt. So again, Part 61 versus Part 141. If you're doing a Part 141 program, it's usually because it's tied to a university program or you have some kind of GI Bill benefits, which I had at one point in my life, being a military vet, that may only pay for a Part 141 program in a flight school. So if that's what you're looking for and, and, that's, and that's the reason why you need to choose Part 141, I would do that. Um, most other people especially if they're older, I recommend a Part 61 program. Uh, It gives you a little more flexibility on time and lessons and schedule uh, and the types of airplanes you can fly and the instructors you can fly with uh, because all those things in a Part 141 program have to be approved periodically, and sometimes if they're not, those things just aren't available to you. Uh, Plus, once you start a 141 program, you can only transfer so many hours to another program, Uh, Whereas Part 61, you can kind of move from school to school as you need to. Uh, If you were to happen to relocate or something like that, you could move all your hours over. But in the Part 141 program, you're restricted to how much time you can move. Also, it doesn't really do anything for you unless you're looking at reduced minimum times if you're trying to get to, say, an airline. Um, In general, the airlines will require 1,500 hours of flight time um, to be eligible for an ATP certificate. That's Airline Transport Pilot Certificate. And there are some special situations where if you go through a Part 141 program uh, with military experience or if you have uh, it associated with a college aviation degree program, then those minimums can be reduced. Uh, But in general, if you're going through flight training and you become a CFI, the difference in hours that they reduce that time to can be made up in a few months as a CFI working full-time training students. So it may not be worth the extra hassle to go through the Part 141 program if you can just get those hours on a Part 61. It may not matter if you get those reduced minimums um, if you can just work a couple extra months. Uh, A lot of people say, well, seniority is everything if you're trying to go to the airlines, and that's true. Uh, But I don't think a couple months is going to hurt you uh, to build up the remaining hours uh, that you save by going through a Part 141 program um, just to try to get those reduced hours. So it's... They both have their pros and cons, um, but I see a lot of people, who, especially in my situation where I'm older and I had a previous career, um, It's it was easier for me to go through a Part 61 program where things can be done as necessary. Uh, in Part 61, you can do those requirements anytime you want to. In Part 141, you have to follow that outline kind of to the letter, lesson by lesson. Um, if it says you have a night flight next, you have to take a night flight next, and that's it. If you don't have time to take a night flight next, you're just waiting on that night flight, not to mention the fact that you have to wait for stage checks from designated people who can do stage checks. And that those people aren't available, well, you just can't move on to the next stage. So they both have their pros and cons, and uh, you need to kind of evaluate that for yourself as you go through that. Plus, there are far more Part 61 operations out there, uh, instructors who just work on the side, teaching under Part 61, uh, than there are flight schools that are certified Part one forty-one. The so part of the process of picking a flight school, course, is evaluating the cost. And everyone talks about money and how much flight training costs. And it is very expensive. Um, back in 2008, I paid about $10,000 uh, to complete my private pilot certificate. And that was a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money now. Interestingly enough, uh, you can actually get it done for a lot less than that right now. Um, I just might happen to know a place where you could do that. But, in general, I would expect to pay about that much money uh, to get a private pilot certificate at the minimum amount of time. A lot of flight schools will quote you prices for a package, and uh, for most part, and I don't know any other school that any school that does this um but I don't think anybody is going to quote you a price to get your certificate. The fact of the matter is forty hours in a part sixty one is a minimum time to get your private pilot certificate. And the national average, I believe, is still somewhere around 50 to 60 hours um, before those people are ready to go and actually get their certificate. So be careful about you know looking at package time. Um, they're always going to give you a package that includes a minimum amount of hours. Um, they might give you a package that includes more. And of course, you have to evaluate that total price versus the number of hours they're going to give you. Um, just an example, the flight school I work for has a great deal on packages. Uh, it's about... to sometimes they have sales for less than that. And that provides you 40 hours of flight time. uh, That's with an instructor and the solo time required. And this is under part 61. It also includes 15 hours of ground instruction, which generally covers your uh, briefings before flights and your um, debriefings after flights, and maybe some hours here and there teaching you about cross-country flight planning and weather and uh, check ride preparation and things like that that you need to cover on the ground as well. But it also includes a uh, home study course um, from a company called Gleim, uh, and they have a whole kit that provides you with all the necessary training materials that you need uh, to study at home online for the rest of your ground school information. And that will allow you to get a certificate of completion for that and then take a written exam on your own. Um, so that's all included. So it's, it's an all inclusive kind of thing. So it's not a bad price. If you're a self-starter, uh, if you can manage to schedule yourself, uh, your own lessons and stay on top of things and study at home and you're, you're self-motivated in that way, you can really get it done quickly and you, you can really get it done for relatively inexpensive. Most everyone knows that I went to ATP for my advanced certificates. So I got private pilot back, uh, in 2008. And then I went to ATP a few years back, uh, and got my instrument ratings and commercial ratings and, uh, flight instructor ratings. And that was very expensive. Um, I think at the time it was around $70,000. And as I had mentioned before, the reasoning behind that was the speed Uh, The course allows you to move very, very quickly through all the ratings. Uh, They have everything set up for you. You don't have to really think about it. Every lesson just kind of follows the next. They have lots of instructors, lots of airplanes. They have very, very quick uh, turnarounds on maintenance, so there's rarely not airplanes available. They have lots of locations around the U.S., and they provide an intensive course uh, so that you can get it done that fast. So to me, that was worth the money. Uh, I, I I had more money than time. Some people have more time than money. So if you have more time than money, then you might want to take a look at finding something that's a little less expensive, but you have to uh, work harder at scheduling yourself and really put the effort in to get that scheduled. I'm the type of person who needed to have it laid out for me. And that was what they were providing an ATP, kind of a clear path uh, to what I wanted at the time. And to me, it was worth the money. Uh, although I would say it was probably at least two times, maybe three times more expensive than doing it on your own. So again, Compare costs, but don't just look at the cost. Uh, Understand what you're getting into and what you're getting out of that cost. Uh, Are you getting a... Ground school course. Are you getting a certain number of hours? Are they giving you any extra time, say, for a check ride because you're going to need to rent an airplane for a check ride, and that may not be included in the training time? Are you going to have a uh, way to schedule the airplanes yourself? Do you need to get with an instructor to schedule the airplanes? Do they have some kind of online system where you can track airplane instructor availability, which most people should these days? Or do you have to call the instructor and schedule with them uh, each time? And that, can, and that can be very complicated uh, and cause you to have some delays in training as well. So look at the reviews. Look at the costs. Compare everything. Just do a lot of homework um, and definitely visit the fight school that you're trying to go to, at least one or two of them, and get a feel of what's going on there. See if they're organized. Um, see if they're put together. Not every flight school is going to look shiny, fancy, new. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, as long as they're well organized and they're friendly and they're engaging, uh, you shouldn't have a problem with them too much. But of course, every instructor at the flight school is different, so you got to evaluate that as well. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So, speaking of the cost, um, a lot of people ask me, "Well, how do you how do you pay for that? You know, do you have to just save up that much money and put it all forward, um, or do you have to get a loan, or how does that work?" And and the answer is. Yes, uh, you can do all those things. You can save up the money ahead of time and put it all down and get your training done uh, as quickly as possible. Or you can take a loan for the amount and do the same thing. Or you can pay as you go. And paying as you go is the one way I would recommend not doing it. And that's kind of the way I did it for my private pilot certificate and it was probably detrimental to my training, and it was, it was detrimental to me getting done uh, in the minimum number of hours. And it was mostly because I only paid as I could afford to take lessons. Sometimes I couldn't afford to take a lesson that week. Uh, sometimes I couldn't afford to take a lesson that month. And that will slow things down, and you won't retain as much information. And it will cause you to have to do lessons over again. Uh, and in my case, it, me dragging it out caused me to have to switch instructors a couple of times. And that's not necessarily a good thing either. It could be, depending on you know how well you get along with your instructor. But if you get along with the instructor really well and you're taking so much time, the instructor eventually moves because a lot of the instructors are moving toward an airline career and they're just building time uh, to get over to that side of things. Then them leaving can be detrimental to your training and cause you to spend more money. So saving up the cash ahead of time is obviously the best option. Uh, paying cash, saving the money, getting everything together, having a buffer in there for extra training uh, so you don't fall out halfway through or something like that if you if you plateau and can't get through a certain part. Um, but it is risky because if you decide it's not for you, then you're already out that cash. And it also may keep you from starting in the first place. Um, it can be daunting to try to put away that much money. Uh, there are some very disciplined people who are able to do it, but if you're not that type of person, then that can be very hard. Uh, you know, Save a few hundred dollars a week, it's going to take you maybe a year to get up all the money uh, together or more um, to be able to pay for flight training. And When you have that goal in mind, sometimes you just want to go do it and you might be tempted to take that cash and just start. Uh, right away. Uh, But if you are trying to go down that path of saving the money ahead of time, I'd caution you against that again because you fall into the kind of pay-as-you-go structure once you start to run out of money. And of course, getting a loan is always an option too. Uh, There's plenty of places that finance for flight training. Uh, A lot of those places are going to want to see that you're going for an advanced certificate. If you're going to ATP, for example, you're going to go through to make a career out of it. They expect you to kind of be making money at the end of that time. Uh, they want to know how you're going to pay back the loan, obviously. Uh, if if you've got a career and you're already working in a field and you can make enough money to afford the loan, then they probably don't really care what you go for. But if you're taking a loan as a way to start a new career path, just as if you would take a loan to go to a trade school or to a university, then what they're getting out of that afterwards is that they know you're trained enough to work in a career that's going to make you some money to pay the loan back. And uh, they don't care how they get paid back. They just want to be paid back. So, they, a lot of places are, are more likely to finance a pathway that is all the way through or a part 141 again uh, program that is more structured to ensure that you actually complete the training uh, the correct way and you're not just wasting your time um, by burning up hours. I don't necessarily recommend taking the loan option. Um, I did do that for ATP because it was just an easier process. Uh, Before we took the loan, we could have easily have paid for the flight training. We just decided to do it that way to kind of parlay my earnings as a CFI into the loan, and we refinanced it uh, as well for lower interest rates. And we're very proactive about making sure that, that we're paying as little money as possible for that money if that makes sense. We don't have car payments. Uh, I buy, I buy used cars. I don't buy new cars, uh, no credit cards, things like that. Um, so that was a big deal to, to take out this loan for flight school, but it was a promise to ourselves that we were going to work through the school really fast as opposed to saving the money make sure we had all the money and then uh, get to work, uh, and start taking the money from me working as a CFI and as a commercial pilot and applying that back to the loan and get it paid off as fast as possible. But for some people, a loan maybe the only way that they can get into the business. And if that's it, and if that's the way that you can do it, then there's lots of options out there. Uh, I know AOPA, uh, as an organization, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, uh, works with some partners to provide flight training loans. Uh, they also have scholarships. Uh, you can apply for a scholarship there. They're few and far between, uh, but I definitely recommend that if you qualify or if you might qualify for a scholarship that you apply for it uh, to see what you can get. Because if you can get free flight training, that'd be wonderful. There's also other companies like Climb. Um, I know Wells Fargo does loans for flight training through ATP exclusively. Uh, I don't know if they do it for other schools, but there's other institutions out there. Uh, I've had people who borrowed against their retirement accounts and it was tax-free and interest free, and they just paid it right back into the retirement. So there's there's options out there for you to do that. Um, just be careful researching those. Make sure you don't get ripped off. Uh, make sure you're not going to be paying for this loan for the next twenty years or anything like that, because um, you definitely don't want to be saddled by all this debt when you're making because you're not going to be making a whole lot of money to start out in aviation. So if you found the right flight school and you've found a way to finance the training, really, how do you get started and, and pick a flight instructor? Um, and that's a very very important thing. Just like if you were able to go into a school, like a university or a high school, and pick the instructor that you're going to use, um, you probably would be or perform a lot better at that school. But we all know a lot of times we don't have the pick, right? You, you go to high school and you, you pick the classes that you want, but you don't necessarily know the instructor. And in college, uh, university, you can generally pick Pick the courses you need and see the instructor. And sometimes instructors have a reputation for being good or bad, uh, as determined by the students. And uh, you may pick a course just because a certain instructor is there and it meets your requirements. Um, The great thing about flight training is that within the realm of that school, you can pick any instructor you want. When you come into a flight school, every school is going to have Instructors who are very popular and filled up on their schedule, and there's going to be instructors who are not as popular, so to speak. Their, their schedule is not filled up quite yet, and that may be for a bunch of reasons. It may have been be because they're not haven't been there as long, uh, because they're a newer instructor, and that really shouldn't change your opinion one way or the other. Um, but and when you come into a school. In general, if the school – if you haven't asked for a specific instructor, the school is probably going to put you with an instructor who doesn't have as many students on their schedule. And that just makes good financial sense for the school, and it makes sense for the instructor's uh, finances as well because they need to work in order to make money. Most of these schools pay their instructors by the hour, uh, by the flight hour, uh, and by the ground instruction hour. And if they're just sitting around doing nothing, they're not getting paid. So it's beneficial to both the school and the instructor. But be careful if they assign you to instructor, that's fine. But you do need to keep a watchful eye on, is your relationship working out? Um, Are they meeting your needs? Can they come up with a good training plan? Are are they working? Are you learning from them? And it's very important that you pay attention to that because people come into, into flight schools and they don't understand that they have that choice, that they have a choice in instructor. And and this is 99% across the board. Uh, There are some places that will not allow you to change instructors because of their schedule or whatnot. And, you know, I might stay away from those places if I were you. Um, That basically means that they are trying to work it the best way that they can for their schedule and the instructor's schedule and they're not as concerned about what you want as, as a customer. Uh, this is where one of the uh, few areas where you have ultimate control as a customer. Uh, you want to pick a different instructor, pick a different instructor. Uh, when students come to me to, to start out, I always tell them, hey, I am happy to instruct you. Um, I'm going to do it the way I do it. I'm very successful in the way I do it. If you don't like how I'm doing it, or you don't like the way that our relationship is working out as a student instructor, um, you're more than welcome to go and try out a different instructor. It's not going to offend me. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, I'm not going to be mad at you or upset or or, or go cry at home or anything. The, The whole idea is that you need to pick the best instructor that works for you, and it's not always going to be me. I've had plenty of students who have been with me for a while, and then for one reason or another, they go with a different instructor, and it just works better for them to go with that instructor, and that's perfectly fine. I want students to ultimately be successful in their pilot training. I don't care if they decide that they can't work out with me anymore. I don't want just the hours. I want them to be successful. And if you convey that for the instructors out there, if you convey that to your students early on, I think you'll find that they will stick with you more often because they understand that you're not just trying to milk them for hours or training time, that you really do have their best interest and heart. So the times when you are contentious about, hey, you need to do it this way, uh, this is the right way, you're doing it wrong, uh, you really need to work on this, they're not just going to jump ship and be like, I don't like this guy they're going to understand that you're trying to help them and not just picking on them for doing something wrong. So just keep that in mind. So as you go through training, make sure you're watching out um, for your relationship with your instructor. Uh, Keep that in mind. If you're getting frustrated with something, uh, make sure that they're helping you with it in the best way possible. Um, They can't solve all problems. Make sure that they're occasionally putting you with somebody else to check your progress. Um, Some A lot of schools have policies where they – the students will go fly with the chief pilot or somebody else to check them out before solo or before their check ride or something like that. Make sure they're doing that, not just keeping you all to their to themselves because everybody teaches a little differently. Everybody covers some topics a little more thoroughly. It's just human nature. Uh we we are passionate about some things more than others. I know that there are some people in my office who are far more passionate about weather than I am. Uh I like weather. I respect it. I understand a lot about it, but uh, I don't have as much fun teaching it as I do, say, airspace or aerodynamics or systems. And uh, there's other people in the office. Like, for example, in my office, there is an instructor who is also a college meteorology student, and uh, he loves weather. Uh, And he's probably much more suited to teach about weather than I am. So if a student was struggling with that concept, I would be happy to send him off to that instructor to get a little insight on that side of things. So make sure they're doing that stuff for you. They should be ultimately focused on your success as a student pilot. Uh, and even if you're already a pilot, if you're working on r- other ratings or things, they should still be doing this stuff. If I had to go back and do it all over again, I'd probably make a couple decision changes with in regard to what dis- instructors I work with uh, for my private pilot training. Uh, I had great instructors for my advanced rating, so I, no complaints there. Um, but I had an instructor who kind of left to go off to the airlines on me. um, No fault of his own. He was just making a career change. And that negatively affected my training. So I probably would have said, hey, you need to find somebody else. Uh, This person isn't working out. And if I had thought to do that, I probably would have been a little more successful. So you found a flight school. You found the money that you need. You decided where you want to go. You decided the maybe even the instructor you want to be with for your training. How do you kind of get started? Well, A lot of times, flight schools will offer discounts on discovery flights. And a discovery flight is generally a one-hour flight uh, with a flight instructor. That counts as training towards your certificate. Sometimes it's included in the program. And it gives you an idea, one, of the instructor who's giving the discovery flight, so you can kind of gauge them how they are in the air with you. But it also exposes you, if you've never been exposed, to flight in a small uh, general aviation airplane or aircraft uh, and maybe you're going for a helicopter rating. During the flight, the CFI will allow you to fly the airplane. Uh, usually after takeoff, take off some time uh, do some maneuvers, maybe see some of the area in the local practice area. Um, Talked a little bit about flight training and how things go and you can kind of listen and, and feel and kind of get an idea of if you actually like it or not. And I highly recommend you go on a discovery flight if you haven't started, uh, if you've never flown before, just to see if you're going to be comfortable. Now, some people may not have initial comfortableness with flight training; they may be a little nervous about it or, or um, uneasy in the air. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a roadblock. Uh, it's something you have to get over, obviously, um, to some extent. But you know, if you if you feel a little bit uneasy, that's okay; that's normal. Um, but you'll you'll feel better as you, as you kind of progress through uh, and gain some confidence and everything. So don't let that hold you back. Um, but if you were to get up an airplane, for example, and you just you know, you're completely motion sick and uh, spatially disoriented and uh, you can't focus on what you need to do um, to learn. If, if it's not a good learning environment for you, then you may need to think about not doing that uh, because you might be just wasting your time and your money. There are some people who will never be able to get over that and that's fine, uh, but they probably shouldn't be going through flight training or at least know that it's going to take you a lot longer at that point uh, than the minimum hours because you're going to kind of have to overcome some of those things to actually be able to learn things in the cockpit things happen very fast uh in an airplane obviously you're always moving and you have to squeeze in all this training time in a short amount of time and if you're getting if there are things getting in the way of you learning like motion sickness or nervousness then that's going to cause you to have to take more time and spend more money. So once you've done the discovery flight, you can obviously, you know, go ahead and start scheduling some lessons if that's what you want to do. And generally on a student's first lesson uh, after the the discovery flight, I will get them set up with a student pilot certificate that has to be done through IACRA, which is through the FAA. It's the uh, Integrated Airman Rating Certification application. Uh, They'll get a student pilot certificate in the mail and they'll get a temporary one right away. And that's kind of the first step. And then, of course, I will recommend that students go out and find an aviation medical examiner to get their medical exam done as soon as possible. And a lot of students aren't aware of this, but pilots are required to have a valid medical exam. There are different classes, and I won't really get into that, but at least a minimum of a third class for pilot pilot. And there are some options later on down the road once you've gotten that one. But there are some conditions, uh, medications, uh, previous medical histories that can prevent you from obtaining that third-class medical. And if you are not able to get a third-class medical, you will not be able to fly an airplane without a CFI, which means solo. And in general, uh, I see students soloing somewhere between 14 to 20 hours. uh, And that's not too far into your private pilot training. So if you're waiting on a medical and you get to solo time period, if you're able to solo, and they can't cut you loose to solo because you don't have a medical yet, then that's going to put your training back. Uh, You're going to have to either repeat lessons or uh, keep flying or stop flying until you can get that sorted out. So I highly recommend people go get their medical right away. In general, uh, I won't get into all the specifics, but in general, the third class is, is good for about five years, depending on your age and everything. Go ahead and get it. Uh, as soon as possible. So you have that out of the way and that's not going to stand in your way. If you have any issues, you can get them addressed right away. You can get them cleared up. Um, most things that I've seen that people cannot get a medical immediately for can get cleared up later on, uh, through a special issuance is what they call. And that will allow you to fly just like any other person's medical, uh, if you have. Color blindness, for example, uh, they may restrict you from flying at night uh, until you do a certain test where you demonstrate your ability to see the difference between colors. Uh, it's not something that's going to hold you back forever, but it is something that they're going to have to look into a little further and that could delay your training. So definitely get that done uh, as soon as possible. So once you've gotten your medical certificate and you've done a discovery flight and uh, if you've gotten a student pilot certificate, you can kind of just go full speed ahead with flight training. But the one thing I want to caution people about is that a lot of people like to do the flight training portion of it but they don't like to do the ground training. Uh, That's the classroom stuff, the stuff that you need to study at home and and, in your free time uh, when you're not flying. And that can take up a bulk of your time. It can take up far more than the 40 hours of flight training you have to do. And it's just as important. There's all this knowledge that you have to have in your brain, uh, not just for the exam at the end of the course, but as your continued career as a pilot, whether it just be as a hobby uh, or whether you're moving forward uh, as a career pilot, you're going to have to retain this information, and it's it's all very important. For the flight school I work at, and a lot of flight schools, they have a ground school course that they've developed to allow you to study at home. And what I see more often than not is students will, forgive the pun, fly through the flight training part of it and ignore the ground training part because the flying is more fun, They get to the end of their flight training time, and they haven't passed their written exam, uh, which is what is required at the end of their ground training course. You have to have a written exam. You have to pass the 70%. And if they haven't passed that written exam, they can't move on to a practical test or a check ride. And a lot of times, a student will get close to the minimum hours, and they're flying great, but they haven't opened a single book in the ground school course, and now they're spending weeks or maybe even months trying to catch up. And during that time, they're not flying because I've used up all their flight time or they don't want to pay for any more flight time. And now they're losing proficiency in their flight training. They're not able to perform as well after taking a break for doing the ground school course. And then they have to spend more time and more money with the CFI getting more refreshed to get ready for the check ride. So it's extremely important that you keep up on the ground school stuff I know it's not the most fun thing in the world. Um, I'd rather be flying every day than sitting in front of a computer screen or in a book and reading. But it's just the nature of the game. We have to get it done. And that stuff will come into play during your checkride as well. Uh, There is an oral exam portion of the checkride where you're going to have to know a lot of this ground school information. And that happens before you go fly. Uh, if you can't get past the oral exam portion of the checkride, then you're not going to get to the flying portion where you can show off your skills in the air. So how do you make the most of your training time? Well, I always recommend the students that they try to fly at least two to three times a week. Um, I've kind of found that's the sweet spot where you can have a flexible schedule, especially if you're working around uh, work where you're working a full-time job or anything and you're able to retain the information you need to, and you're going to successfully get through flight training with the minimum amount of hours uh, required. I have some students who will train once a week, uh, and that's really kind of pushing it, uh, because if they don't fly for a week and they come back, we have to kind of go back over some of the stuff. And, and you do it to some extent anyway, but we have to go back over the stuff that they have forgotten in between those lessons uh, more often, and it usually ends up with them adding more hours to the minimum at the end of the training program to get them proficient and ready to pass a check ride with an examiner. If your flight school has an online scheduling program, and most of them do, I recommend students go in and schedule as much time as they possibly can uh, and make sure that they can actually make those times. Of course, you don't want to keep canceling lessons for work or anything uh, ahead of time so that they can have their choice of aircraft, if there's several aircraft uh, that get booked up pretty quickly, and have their choice of instructor time as well. Although my schedule has been kind of less busy because of the coronavirus uh, that's been going on uh, at this time in our country, I have found that I'm pretty booked up on a day-to-day basis and that students who schedule two to three weeks in advance have the most success for getting the time they want. Uh, I, I tell a lot of my students to, go, hey, go ahead and get on the schedule, schedule as much time as you possibly can that you know you can make, uh, and you have your choice of times with me and with the airplane. And students who actually follow through and do that are probably about 50-50, uh, but the students who do that are much more successful. Uh, they they get done in the time that they want, and they get done with less hours than the students who Wait until the last minute of the schedule and they can't find a spot for an instructor or a spot for an airplane, things like that. So that kind of makes the most of your time, uh, getting that scheduled out, making sure that you can get the flights that you want. And in between that time, of course, keep working on the ground school. Uh, I also recommend to my students that, hey, if you can get that stuff done more quickly, then go for it. Get through all the lessons if you can. Um, Get signed off for your written exam. Uh, Students may not know this, but an instructor has to sign you off to take your written exam or the school that is teaching you, which if it would be a ground school course, uh, a lot of the schools, like those online schools, have the authority to sign you off for a written exam. But somebody has to recommend you to take it. Um, Generally, I will sign students off from a home study course after I've reviewed the course, if it's not our own course. And seeing that they are able to pass practice practice exams uh, with a 90% score or higher uh, three times in a row, that usually guarantees them a pretty high score, and and I've never had anybody fail uh, a written exam after that point. But whoever is signing you off, whether it be the school or whether it be an instructor, needs to know that you're going to be successful uh, with that exam. So a lot of the ground school courses will have practice exams that you have to pass with a certain score in order to get signed off for the actual exam. And instructors will do the same. Uh, They won't just sign you off, say, okay, you've completed the course, Uh, go take the exam. They're going to want to see that you are actually able to pass that. One of the things I did when I was going through ATP training, because it's such a fast program, is I took all of my written exams before I even started the flight training portion. And uh, that takes a huge load off your back. Um, Obviously, you can't forget the information because you're still going to need it for an oral exam with a uh, checkride examiner. But to not have that written exam hanging over your head is uh, really, really a great feeling because you've gotten all that stuff done. Um, I have a lot of students I've seen go through flight training and not uh, get that done until the last minute. It's hanging over their head. It's one more thing they have to worry about. Um, they get much more stressed out and they don't learn as well. Uh, and so now they're trying to rush to, to focus on the ground training portion and pass the written exam a week or two before their check ride, And it's just not really a good practice. And get that thing done as soon as possible. Um, I've even had students who do the entire ground training and pass the written exam before they come for their first flight lesson. And that's okay too. Um, that, that exam is good for two years from the date that you take it. So if you know that you're going to complete flight training within two years, you can go ahead and take that exam before you even start flying and you'll be kind of a step ahead and ahead of the game. You won't have that hanging on your back uh, the whole time. So some other tips just in general to make your uh, flight training a success from the moment you start, be engaged in the community, um, make friends at the flight school, just like you know any other college course or, or a course of study. If you have people who are there with you going through the same thing and you can bounce ideas off of Uh, Get with them and and help each other study, uh, help each other stay motivated. Uh, One of the very good things that we had at ATP uh, for my advanced ratings that I didn't do for private pilot was have a group of people that I could study with um, continuously throughout the day. We'd quiz each other on airspace and uh, aerodynamics and limitations of the airplane and systems of the airplane and just keep going over stuff over and over again. And uh, it's a good social environment to do that. I recommend people, if they can, hang out at the flight school, hang out at the airport, make friends with people. You'd be surprised the amount of good advice you can get from people from just hanging around. Uh, make sure you get advice from good sources, of course. Uh, make sure that any uh, technical advice is coming from a CFI or at least someone who is a certificated pilot already. Uh, and be aware of some bad habits. You know, Everybody has bad habits. And uh, if they get into your brain, you know, it's kind of hard to unload those. We call that primacy. Uh, It's a lot easier to teach someone something right the first time than it is to correct somebody's uh, behavior from something they learned that was incorrect the first time. Um, So be careful about that. Be careful about getting bad advice. But at the same time, immerse yourself in that community. Become a member of pilot organizations like uh, AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, or EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association. They all have resources for flight training. Uh, AOPA actually has a flight training magazine that you can sign up for and get six months free. It covers a lot of topics for private pilot, uh, be delivered to your uh, house every month. Hopefully it doesn't take that long to get through uh, because six months is a long time to go through flight training. If you can get it done faster than that, uh, I would highly recommend it. There are lots of other organizations out there you can be a member of. There's local flying clubs. uh, There's local IMC and VMC clubs uh, that have meetings and they discuss things about aviation. Go to fly-ins if you can, even air shows. Um, Just talk to people about aviation. If you constantly immerse yourself in that, it's like learning a new language because a lot of it, so much of it is kind of a new language. Uh, We learn about all these different acronyms and different terms for things, and it may be very foreign to us. But a lot of people are very successful immersing themselves, say, learning a new language in in a country where uh, nobody there speaks the language that they'd speak. So if I speak English and I decide that I want to learn German and I go and I decide to spend three months in Germany living there, um, I'm probably going to pick up quite a bit of the language just by being immersed into that culture, into that language. It's the same with aviation. If you immerse yourself into that culture... And you learn the way that pilots talk and the things they say and you ask questions and you'll find that people are pretty helpful. Uh, They'll help you out. They want to give you advice. They want to give you good advice. Um, So it's a good idea to immerse yourself in that and you'll make friends uh, and contacts. And and that'll serve you further down the road, uh, whether you want to make this a career or if you want to just make it a hobby. Uh, You make a lot of uh, lifelong friends in aviation and people who will give you good advice and Maybe hook you up with uh, some fun flights and uh, different airplanes, uh, you know that may own or things you've never done before, or trips you've never gone on. And later on down the road, when you are a certificated pilot, you can get up with these people and fly to different places and share time and uh, maybe even share airplanes. Some people will get together after training and they decide to buy an airplane together and uh, share that experience because it can be expensive to do, to do that as well. So, some final thoughts on flight training to make it successful, just. Take it seriously. Um, take it as seriously as any other course you'd be going through, even if you're going to become a hobbyist pilot. Number one, it's going to be help you be more successful uh, if you really take it seriously and really buckle down and learn things uh, and do it in a timely manner. Number two, it's going to make you a better pilot, which usually means a safer pilot uh, in the air. Uh, we all know that this profession can be somewhat dangerous. Um, in the general aviation community, There have been a lot of studies and it's kind of hard to nail down an exact figure because we're talking about two different uh, realms here, but they say that the general fatality rate uh, by miles traveled uh, in an airplane is more comparable to that uh, of motorcycles on the road. And we know that motorcycles can be dangerous on the road, uh, just like airplanes can be dangerous in the air. But of course, there's a lot of factors there has to do with the pilot and what kind of training they had and how they operate and their mindset and things. So the more knowledge we have, the more proficient we become, the more we mitigate that risk. Um, and of course, the airlines have proven that by being one of the safest, if not the safest, form of transportation there is, uh, because they have a high degree of training, high degree of proficiency. They have very uh, strict standards and operating procedures that they follow, and that's why they're so safe. General aviation doesn't have as many of those standards, have as many of those strict guidelines. Uh, they're a lot looser. So we generally see a lot uh, more fatal accidents uh, for that reason. The more aware you are of that and the better uh, you become at becoming proficient and uh, staying on top of training and immersing yourself in a culture of safety uh, and proficiency, I think uh, the safer you're going to make yourself and the more enjoyable it's going to be for you because you'll be more comfortable in the airplane. So to kind of summarize, uh, successful flight training, make sure you pick the right flight school for you. Uh, Go and do, look at some reviews, go to the flight school, show up, ask questions uh, of the CFIs there, of the managers there. Don't be afraid to pick a different CFI. Uh, As far as it comes to money, don't just shop around for the cheapest thing out there. Really look at the training, look at their success rate, ask them how successful their students are, ask them how many students they put through in the last year. Um, Look at the aircraft, ask them to see the training aircraft uh, that you'll be flying in. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask for something that you want. Understand that they have limitations on everything they can do, uh, and you're not always going to get everything you want. But for the most part, if it has to do with your successfulness and training, uh, picking the right instructor, the right airplane for training, you're going to have a say in that. Make sure you do Discovery Flight. Uh, If you haven't been flying before, just kind of check that out. Get your medical done as soon as possible uh, to make sure that you're not going to be held up by anything. And, of course, get that ground school that work done as soon as possible. If it's a home study course, go ahead and knock it out. Uh, you can be doing that now. It only costs you a, a few hundred dollars uh, to do a ground school course, possibly less online, depending on what you're doing and you can get that written test done right away uh, and be ready to go for training and not have that hanging on your back. Schedule often. uh, Try to compress your training into as little time as possible. It's going to make you more successful with fewer hours. And understand, of course, that in aviation, all things change. Uh, Weather, maintenance, uh, illnesses, all these things can delay training. Trying to get too frustrated. Everyone's going to have a plateau kind of where they reach in training, where they feel like they're not going to be getting something done, uh, where they're not learning anything, and you have to try to overcome that. And your instructor should help you with that as well. But understand that those types of things happen, uh, just like any new process uh, where you're learning something new you're going to have some successes and you're going to have some failures and uh, you're going to have some times where it's it's hard and you're struggling with it, but keep pushing forward, uh, keep striving to learn more and in general, you can get through this without too much headache and uh, you'll be successful and hopefully have a long Fun career flying, whether it's just for a hobby or whether you're just going to make a uh, career out of it, uh, whether you're going to get paid to fly at some point in your career and keep moving towards advanced ratings, keep trying to learn something, uh, try to learn something new every day. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we have a lot of different topics we talk about. Subscribe to other podcasts. There's tons of stuff out there uh, that you can kind of immerse yourself in and learn more about aviation and uh, keep moving down that path. So, thanks again for listening to the podcast. I hope that helped you out with deciding how you're going to. Begin flight training, how to get through flight training successfully, some kind of tips on making sure that you're successful in the least amount of time, the least amount of money spent. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to have uh, designated pilot examiner Dave Lackey come back and join us. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, specifically the airman certification standards and how you can be more successful with your checkride for a private pilot. And we'll go over some of the different checkrides you can go through for instrument and commercial Uh, he's going to be here for a few days doing some uh, exams for some of our students. Um, So we're going to get him on here and talk about some of those things. We're also going to check back in with our uh, two favorite new CFIs. Uh, Very happy to announce that Mary and Danielle, who were on the podcast talking about their path from private pilot, from student pilot, all the way up to CFI, uh, they have actually both successfully completed their uh, flight instructor check rides and i like to have them come back on and talk about that experience and and talk about their experience, uh, what it's like being new instructors uh, at a flight school and uh, how it's kind of opened their eyes to some of the difficulties that we go through as instructors and Uh, how it's kind of changed their perspective on flying for them. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, as well as check us out on Instagram at WaywardPilot. And then you can always send emails, if you have questions or anything, to podcast at waywardpilot.com. If you have a question as a student pilot, we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, If you'd like to talk about something about aviation, please contact us as well. We'd love to have you on the show as well. If you are a student pilot or aspiring student pilot, you've been listening to this episode of the podcast. I wish you all
1: the best of luck, and hopefully these tips helped you out, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Your Wayward Pilot podcast flight has reached its final destination. Remember to follow at Wayward Pilot on Instagram and check waywardpilot.com for further resources and to connect with Jonathan and his team. We hope you'll fly with us again next week. Until then, subscribe, rate, and review.